Good morning, Living Water. Good to see everybody out today. My name is Mike. I'm another staff member here at the church, and we're going to be continuing our study of the Genuine Church, a sermon series that we are in the midst of right now, and I have the great honor and privilege to, to share with you here today. And we're going to be looking at a, a massive topic. The topic is worship. Uh, very expansive, very broad, and uh, I feel a bit overwhelmed, I must confess, uh, to deal with this subject in any sort of detail. Uh, I feel the weight of that, uh, given the limited amount of time that I have. So I want to just dive right in, and uh, I want to remind you first of why we are doing this series uh, called Genuine Church. What we are attempting to do from this pulpit here is to paint a picture for you. What does the genuine church look like? And last week, uh, Pastor Ben showed us that there is a call to holiness within the genuine church. And he was in various places in our Bibles, and he spent some time in Isaiah chapter 6. And so I want to pick up right where he left off. So if you have a Bible and you turn to Isaiah 6, I will take the, uh, the paintbrush from Pastor Ben and my feeble, inadequate hands and try to help cultivate and fill in this portrait of the genuine church. Once you're ready, if you would please stand if you're able as we hear from the Lord. If you're in uh, the Bible that we have in this room, we're on page 571. Again, Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, we'll read the first eight verses. Word of God says the following. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, that's Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Let's pray. Lord, here I am, send me. I seek to honor you this morning at the proclamation of your word. What an honor and privilege it is and a tremendous responsibility 
So I thank you for the opportunity that we can gather together in this place and we can open our Bibles and we can hear directly from you. So I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit to speak your truth and just move me aside. All my sin, all my baggage, all my garbage that I bring to this enterprise, that it would just be uh, not seen so that your glory would be seen by all and your truth would be heard by all. Give us, Lord, please, those ears to hear what you have to communicate today. And I ask it in the matchless, mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> well, as I uh, attempted to study this week what Scripture has to say on the topic of worship, I thought it would be beneficial to try to put together a pretty thorough, as best as I can, definition. So I cobbled together uh, what I've read in the scriptures and what people have said in terms of worship, and I, I came up with a definition, and we'll put it up on the screen and I'll read it to you. Worship is the acknowledgement, adoration, and appreciation of God's supreme worth, demonstrated by a response from the heart that produces acts of praise thanksgiving, and service to God for who he is and what he has done. Now, every English teacher in the room said, Mike, that is a total run-on sentence right there. And I don't know that I would disagree. You know more, more about English and grammar than I do, uh, but I think I'm willing to violate some uh, rules of grammar in an attempt to be uh, expansive and as thorough as I can with the definition. So if we are to acknowledge, adore, and appreciate God, we must have revelation from God. And that's my first point, the word revelation. Worship is informed by truth through revelation. Isaiah 6 had a quite a revelation. In Isaiah 6, the, the prophet Isaiah, he he sees the Lord high and lifted up in all of his holiness. The, the Lord revealing himself to Isaiah. Because true worship is informed worship. We must know something of the one in whom we worship. We, we, we must have knowledge. And we must understand something about God. But we can't in and of ourselves understand anything unless he tells us. Unless he reveals it to us. And you may not have had that sort of experience that Isaiah did in chapter 6, but you have revelation, as I do. We can see the Lord. And I would say we can see him high and lifted up, and we can see in great detail what he's like and, 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 and what, what, how he operates and something of his character and his nature and how we ought to interact with him. All we have to do is open our Bibles. Theologians call this specific revelation. And, and that term theology, uh, some people are like, I don't know, theology sounds like one of those highfalutin words. It simply means the study of God. So theology is very important. And let me throw another term your way. And that term is doxology. 
And, and if I had to give a definition of, of doxology, I'd say in the simplest terms, it is an expression of praise to God. So th- these two are intertwined, theology and doxology. Theology, we, we must know something about God to worship Him properly. There must be a connection point that is made between sound theology and pure doxology. I like how one pastor put it. Uh, he articulated it quite well. His name is Shai Lin. He says it this way. He says, all theology should ultimately lead to doxology. He says, if you have theology without doxology, you have dead, cold orthodoxy. What he's saying there is, is you might have all the, the doctrines down pat. You've studied the Bible. You, you know something of God and who he is. But if it dies there and it doesn't lead to worship of this God of whom you study, it's no good. That's what he's saying. And he can, let me continue the quote. He says, on the other side, we have people who say, ah, forget theology. I just want to praise He says, if you have doxology without theology, you actually have idolatry. Because it's just a random expression of praise, but it's not actually informed by the truth of who God is. So God is concerned with both theology and doxology, an accurate understanding of who he is, and that accurate understanding of him will lead you to praise, adoration, and worship towards him. Well said by Shai Lin. That's why I say worship is an informed truth and it comes through revelation. So my first point is revelation. Second would be response. Response. Worship is a response from the heart that is expressed outwardly. And we see this in the text. Isaiah has the vision. The revelation comes his way and he responds He he most certainly does. Confronted with the holiness of God, what does he see? His own wretchedness. His own unholiness. A true vision of God will give us a true vision of self. And the contrast is going to be abundantly obvious. And so Isaiah's way to respond outwardly, his outward expression is one of confession. He says, woe is me. I am undone. I'm lost. I got a dirty mouth and I'm surrounded by people with dirty mouths. So if you're going to talk about the topic of worship, you have to bring in the topic of sin. If anything is going to impede our worship of God, it's sin. That's why we see in the text confessing, repenting, cleansing, purifying. We see all of that in there. Psalm 24 says this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Worship is a response from the heart that is expressed outwardly. And this can take various forms. It can. Sometimes it's confession of sin like we see here with Isaiah. What else do we see? We see the seraphim crying out. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. That's worship. The most profound worship experience I had was uh, years ago. It was eight years ago. I can tell you the exact day and time, in fact. It was January 15th, 2015, and it was 4.30 in the afternoon. It was a Thursday. I was downstairs. That's where my office was uh, during that time uh, in the children's ministry. And I'm getting ready to go home. And what I would do is I'd come up the stairs right up here and come to the office to see who was still here, let them know I was leaving, check in any last things that I could do before I head out. And as I walked up the stairs, uh, our administrative assistant at the time, Laura Howell, uh, was here. And she saw me and she came out. We met right in the lobby there. And the expression on her face was not good. Not at all. And uh, if you remember Laura, Laura, Laura is quite succinct with her words, very concise. She said three words to me. Pastor Andrew died. Our beloved worship pastor here. Suddenly, man was 50 years old. He was my friend, he was my pastor, he was my brother, and, and I, I don't know initially how I responded in that moment standing in the lobby, but I know I went down those stairs and I went back into my office, and I, and I, walked, I walked through the door of my office, and I had an utter compulsion to hit my knees. And not only that, I didn't stop there, I went down on my face face to the carpet. This felt like the right response to the news I was given. I, I don't know fully why I did that. I, I wish I could explain it to you better, but I was, I was worshiping God in that moment. And, and, and again, I don't know how to, words fail me. I think it was because like, you know, this, is, this was the reality of all that we talk about here. What? Life is fragile. It's fleeting. It's a mist. It's a vapor. You're here today and you're gone the next. And my friend was gone. But he was in the presence of the Lord. Sins forgiven by grace through faith. I wasn't, I wasn't you know, intercessory prayer on his behalf. I know he was welcomed in to the presence of God through what Jesus had done. I think it was just the weight of it, of it all just crashing upon my shoulders drove me to the floor. But it was worship. I was worshiping. An outward expression. You know, if we look through the scriptures, you know, we see, we see people singing. singing. Of course, we sang. That's worship, right? I think of Paul and Silas. They're, they're in prison. It's midnight. Shackles. Singing praises to God. Worshiping. My, my first time coming to Living Water at the school at Rutherford. I, I come from a church where you know, people didn't raise their hands. Very, not very expressive at all in worship. And there was a large man in the front row just like this. Just like this. And you know what I thought of? It's a child. There's a child. Diane said it earlier. We are children of God. This is what children do, right? This is what Corbin does. Mommy, daddy, up, right? And that's what he wanted. He, and this is a big man. I mean, he was just like, and I'm like, wow, that's so childlike. 
You know, and it was just, it was, it was amazing. That's worship. That was an expression of worship. It could be shouts of joy. We see that all throughout the Bible. Joshua, the Israelites, Jericho, the walls falling flat. Worship and shouting at what the Lord has done. You could dance like David. Dance before the Lord with all his might. I have the great privilege of sitting next to Miss Ella. You already know. And, and we are the picture of contrast. We are. She's in the aisle because she doesn't want to smack me. I appreciate that, Miss Ella. But she's very expressive in worship, dancing. I don't dance. Well, I used to break dance. I, you know, I, we could put some cardboard down. I'll do a windmill for Jesus. No, I'll dislocate something. That won't be good. But I, she's doing what she's doing. I'm doing what I'm doing. Sometimes it's just like this. Sometimes I'm not even singing. Oh, he's not worshiping. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. It's just expressed outwardly different. It's still, it doesn't have to be anything flamboyant. I just, I'll, I'll listen to the words and I'll latch on to a word that I hear. And I'm like, that's so true of God. And I praise him for it. And I just let the melody just play. And I'm praising God because it's about here. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's coming later. Other examples in the Bible. You got Mary in the alabaster flask of ointment, uh, anointing Jesus in Bethany. You got, you got the woman kneeling at Jesus' feet, drying her tears with her hair. Uh, giving. We're going to do that later. I love how Pastor James said we were worshiping during the child dedication and the new member recognition. If he's in here, good on you, Pastor James. That is right. That is worship. And we will worship after the sermon as we take an offering. This is all worship. I think of the, the widow, the two copper coins, putting them into the treasury. She gave all that she had. She gave more than everybody else. That was her act of worship. So again, it takes different, I think there's freedom here. And, and, and I just gave you a demonstration between Miss and Ella how there's, there's diversity in this room. And it's, we are, our diversity runs deep here at Living Water, including expressions of worship. And I praise God for it. But I said, worship is a response from the heart. Can't miss that. It's from the heart. We see this later in Isaiah. If you want to turn ahead to chapter 29. Isaiah 29 verse 13. I still hear pages flipping. I'll give you a second. It's good. I love when people bring their Bible. Don't trust that I put it right on the screen. I make mistakes. See it for yourself in your own Bible. The Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. See, true worship comes from a genuine inner love for God and a love for God to do what he commands. Right? What did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commandments. Because this was the issue with the Pharisees. Jesus lifted that text from Isaiah and applied it to the Pharisees. That was their problem. They, did they do outward expressions of worship? 
Did they give? They did. Did they tithe? Yes, meticulously so. Down to their spices. They're tithing. They're saying some of the right things, using their mouth to worship. I'll use that in quotes, right? Jesus even said, do what they say, but don't do what they do because there was something severely wrong and it was on the inside. It was devoid of the heart. It was, it, they lacked the inward worship. It was all merely outward. It was to get the applause of man. Just good job. Yes, you are. Oh, you are so holy. But it was some, there was a huge problem on the inside. So true, doctor, true worship, I think, starts with doctrine up here. I, I do think we have to start there to know who it is we're worshiping. But then it can't stay here. It's got to get to the heart. But then it comes outwardly. It's expressed outwardly. It's, it, I would say it's conviction, affection, and action. Head, heart, and hands. I think it's all three. See, worship is a, is a noun, but it's also a verb. I remember back in grade school, let me redeem myself with the English teachers in here. My English teacher would say, well, if you want to know if a word is a verb, you just say, well, show it to me. Can you, can you read? Can you show me, show me yourself reading? That's a verb. Can you run? It's a verb. Show it to me if you can demonstrate it. And worship is demonstrated. And again, it could be, could be kind of, you know, simple, but it's an expression nonetheless. But it must come from that true heart of thanksgiving. And God knows the difference. Don't kid yourself. He surely does. And when he sees it, he's not afraid to call people on it. Like he did in Isaiah. Again, if we go back to Isaiah chapter 1, we see how the Lord feels about vain and empty worship. Notice the strong language used here. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. The Lord hates. Did you know that? They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct op uh, oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. And in case that's not enough for you, we go from a major prophet to a minor. Amos chapter 5. He says, I hate, the Lord says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me with your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace of offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. 
Take away from me the noise of your songs. He calls the the songs noise. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We read in 1 Samuel, obedience is better than sacrifice. See, again, to talk about the topic of worship, we need to bring in other doctrines, the doctrine of sin, of obedience and righteousness. Offerings, incense, convocations, assemblies, prayers, songs, these are all good things. But if they're done with dirty hands and dirty mouths and devoid of the spirit, of devoid of, from, the, uh, from the heart and, and, and unconfessed sin, it's, it's vain. It's vain and it's unacceptable to God. So we've had the revelation, right, and the response. Third point, and this is a quite obvious one, but it needs to be said, there's the receiver. There's only one who's deserving to receive worship, and that is God. We don't worship other gods. We don't worship other people, including Mary. We don't worship saints, statues, relics, even the Bible. I, I, I used to, you know, in, interact with somebody here at the church who's like, I worship the Bible. I said, don't do that. That's not good. It's called bibliolatry. It's, we worship the God of the Bible, right? So again, we got to be careful. You know who wrote a lot on worship was John Calvin. People typically think, you know, theologian, high mind, you know, brilliant guy, amen. But he wrote a lot on worship and he said, the human heart is an idol factory. We can make idols out of anything, literally anything. We pump out idols like we pump, pump blood through our veins. And that's, you know why that is? Because we're made to worship. Everybody, I'm talking everybody on the planet. I'm not talking about just us here or Christians. Everybody, it comes with the package. You are, you are made to worship. It's universal. The Greek word uh, anthropos or, or anthropos, I've heard it said both ways, where we get the word anthropology, the study of humanity. That Greek word means the upward looking one. We're looking for something. We're looking for something greater than us, something to worship. Pastor Ben last week said, if you don't value holiness, you'll value something else. And if you don't worship God, you will worship something else or someone else. Romans 1 makes this point. You either worship the creator or the creation, some form or fashion. You could pick your idol. doesn't really matter if it's not the true and living God. See, people worship celebrities, athletes, politicians. You know, the, the biggest one is ourselves. We just worship ourselves. That's the biggest problem we have. Self-worship, self-glorification. You can worship things like money, possessions, sex. You can worship non-material things. It doesn't have to be a block of wood that you bow down to. It, it, it could be something that's not even physical that you can hold in your hand, like comfort, like luxury, like security. People worship these things. Other non-material things, 
like ideologies and identities. You want to know what's going on in our world right now? I think it's very clear. It makes perfect sense to me. We have a worship issue. Why do people say some of the things they say? I'm gay. I'm straight. I'm bi. I'm heteronormative. I'm male. I'm female. I'm cisgendered. I'm non-binary. I'm trans. I'm black. I'm white. I'm Republican. I'm Democrat. I'm conservative. I'm liberal. See, those might be more than just descriptors. When, when, when that's the end-all, be-all to who you are, you might just be describing the God you worship. And I think that's what's going on in our world. It is a worship issue. They think we're the ones who are worshiping right now. Yes and amen. But even that atheist sitting home right now who wouldn't darken the doors of a church building, he's worshiping. Make no mistake about it. You just have to get to know him and find out who is his God. Because someone is. Someone is. See, the question is not, do you, do you worship? We know you worship. The question is, who or what do you worship? And the Bible's clear. It couldn't be more obvious. You worship God alone. It says it in the Ten Commandments. Jesus said it to Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. See, it's innate in us. It's built in. And we're all thirsty. But many people, instead of running to the fountain of living water, they would rather drink from the toilet. Yes, there's water there. Uh Uh-huh. But there's better places to quench your thirst than toilet water. Here's C.S. Lewis. He said, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. This is about God. It's about Him. And if that's true, if it's about God, you know who it's not about? Us. We like to make worship about us, right? I mean, can we just have an honest conversation here? How many times you leave church service? I didn't like those songs. We need to sing more hymns. No, we need to sing more contemporary songs. Prayers ought not be scripted. They ought to be spontaneous. That preacher preached way too long. It was way too short. It was too deep. I was lost. It wasn't deep enough. I didn't get anything out of it. Anybody ever said that or heard somebody say that? Am I on an island out here? This is my own little world where people say this stuff. Again, real talk, right? I, 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 I. I, I, I. We are so <laughs> consumer-driven, self-centered, consumer mentality that creeps into the church. This ain't Burger King, y'all. This, this isn't you come and have it your way. You know what their latest promotion is? You rule. You rule. You like pickles, you don't like pickles. You like hymns, you don't like hymns. 
Just tell us what you want and how you want it, and we'll make it the way you like, because you rule. No, you don't. And neither do I. I don't rule. Yeah, I mean, and we've seen this. When people don't get their way, they're on their way to another church that will give them what they want. It's consumer, consumerism. My wife doesn't shop in Walmart. She thinks she's going to get shot. She's like, Mike, don't go into Walmart. I love Walmart. She, where can you go and buy like, you know, a gallon of milk, you know, a, you know, a, a, a t-shirt and a lawnmower. I mean, all in the same place. Walmart's great. She's like, I'll take my business elsewhere, thank you. You know, and that's what people say. You don't do it the way I like, I'll take my worship elsewhere. One time, someone, someone said to one of, one of the preachers here, this is a true story, they said, I like your sermons. Uh, I'd like to get the preaching schedule so I know who's preaching when. What's the implication there? By the groans, you've already put it together, but let me just, if you're not tracking with me, uh, it's, it's Sunday morning. Let me pull out the schedule. Okay, uh, October such and such. Mike Bongo, nope. I guess I'll get some extra sleep that morning. <laughs> Heck no, you're not getting the preaching schedule. I'm not lying. This is a true story. Like my uncle Vito used to say, what's the matter for you? What's the matter? Why would the audacity to ask that? If that doesn't reveal a self-centered consumer mentality, I don't know what does. Now, you may not have asked for the preaching schedule, but here's a, here's a question that I get asked all the time. Who's preaching this weekend, Mike? It was asked of me just yesterday. Who's preaching? Now, I don't know what's motivating that. Honestly, I don't. No, I do. You know, sometimes, you know what people do is they say, because if you're preaching, I know you got sermon prep and what I want to talk to you about can wait till next week. And I appreciate that. I, I really do. That, that's very considerate. But perhaps that's not all that's going on there. You know, again, the guy yesterday said, you're preaching tomorrow, right? And I said, yes. He goes, good, I'll get some extra sleep in. <laughs> That's what he said. He was kidding. I hope. I don't know. <laughs> it's right to my face. It's pretty brazen. Like, okay. But, but if you ask that question, if you ask me that question, I'm going to answer that. I'm not going to be that guy like giving you a lecture on, on that. I'm just used, I'm talking about it now and I'm done. Uh, but, but here's the thing. If you ask that question, check your motivation. Why, why are you asking that? Really? What does it matter? I mean, I know we kind of connect with certain people. I get that. But it's about the content, y'all. It's not the conveyor of the content. You're making it about the conveyor. So that leads me to the second thing I'd like to say. Here's a better question. Ask us, what's the text this Sunday? What topic is on deck for next week? That's a better question. You know why? Because you can go home, you can look at the text, you can read some commentary on it, you could look at the topic, study it a little bit. You come into church on Sunday morning when the preacher gets up, no matter who it is, and says, let's open our Bibles, you're ready. You're ready. You, you prime the pump. You got some fuel in the line, and you're going to, boom, you're going to start right up instead of coming in cold. 
That is a better question to ask. Take it for what it's worth, just me. Worship is about God, not us. And I know I've been pretty, pretty, you know, firm with pointing the finger. You know, what do they say? You point the finger, you got three fingers pointing back at you. I'm, I'm probably three times as guilty as anybody in here. I, I love to give my opinions. I share my perspective. You know, I, I like to customize my burger as much as the next guy, right? I do. So if it makes you feel any better, I'm right there with you. But, but here's what the Lord has been doing for me. He, he, there's voices in my head. I, I have these voices. <laughs> One is a really good voice. When I'm flapping my gums about something, you know, well, here's my perspective on the matter. And here's what I think. And here's, well, we know my opinion is, yep, 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 yep. The voice says to me, Mike, shut up. <laughs> shut up. No one asked you. You know, and I, I fight back. You know why? Because I got pride. I'm like, yeah, but I got something to say. Voice is like, yeah, no one cares. <laughs> but, but don't they, I, I, if it's a debated issue, don't they want to join me in being right? So I can share my view? And the voice is like, no, they want you to be quiet. Zip it. So I think what I'm saying is I'm overdue for a counseling session with Lisa Dickerson. <laughs> can you get me in? Okay, good. Thank you. I don't know that you can handle what's going on up here, though. So we'll, we'll find out. But it's not about us, man. It's about Jesus. That's why we come here. His opinion matters. He is God. I am not. What makes Jesus so special? Like everything? He's our creator, our sustainer, our law keeper, our savior, our deliverer, right? I mean, he's conquered. He's the conqueror. It's all about him. And he alone is worthy of our praise. He alone for who he is and what he has done. So in the remaining time that we have, we'll close with this last point. We've covered the revelation, saying worship is informed by truth through revelation. Response, worship is a response from the heart that is expressed outwardly. The receiver, worship is, the, is to be received by God alone. And this last one might take you by surprise a little bit. I would say replication. Let's go back to Isaiah 6, if you would. Isaiah 6, we see there what some theologians have termed a threefold vision. What does Isaiah see? He sees a vision of God, high and lifted up in all his holiness. Then he has a vision of self, and he sees himself in all his unholiness. But then, as prompted by the Lord, he has a vision for the lost. The Lord says, who will go for us? And what does Isaiah give? A verbal dedication in response to God's commissioning. He says, I'll go, me. He had a journey upward, a journey inward, and now a journey outward. See, the, the word worship comes from an old English word, worthship. It means to ascribe value, to give uh, value to something. And when you really value someone, you serve them in some way. You do. You do. There, there's a, you show it somehow. You do something for them. So if we worship God and God says, who will do X? The true worshiper says, I'll do X. Whatever X is. In this case, go 
and if you read Isaiah 6, it's like, yeah, go ahead and preach, and they're not going to listen. I mean, what? just keep reading in Isaiah 6 later. It's like, it's a tough commissioning, a tough call, but Isaiah's like, I've seen you, I've seen me, send me. I'm ready to go. There's an obedience component to all of this. So if something is important to the one we worship, whatever that is, it should be important to us. And if God says, I'm the creator of all things, I want my name to go throughout all of creation to proclaim who I am and what I am doing and what I have done and what I will do, the true worshiper says, as you wish. Your wish is my command. And see, worship doesn't end here. When you leave this place, you don't return back to, quote, normal life. Well, I had a time of worship, now I'm going to go have lunch. Now I'm going to watch some football. It's, 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 it's a way of life for the Christian. It's not this truncated, well, Sunday morning, hour and a half worship. It's all throughout the week. And there's a vertical aspect. Yes, the, the worshiper and the receiver of the worship, right? Us and God. But my argument here is there's, there's a horizontal effect. There's a salutary effect that happens when we worship God truly, it, it becomes uh, uh, obvious to those around us there's something different about us. When, when, you're not, when you're swimming upstream, you're on the narrow road, not the broad road, people are going to sit up and take notice. They're going to ask you some questions. They're going to be intrigued. Why do you do what you do? And let me just tell you, going to church, it doesn't impress anybody, really. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, that's part of it. We come to worship. It's the way you live your life. The things you think, the things you say, the things you do, the things you don't do, it, it has an effect on a horizontal level. And God can use the fire of our worship to kindle the dry hearts of those around us. I'll give you a, a Bible verse so that I can help support my point here. The psalmist in Psalm 40 verse 3 says this, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Later, the psalmist says in verse 16, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord indeed. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are great. I echo the psalmist's words. Lord, it is, a, it is a joy to worship you. It is a delight. It's not burdensome. It is the least that we can offer for who you are and what you have done for us. Oh, and it, Lord, it takes many different expressions. It comes in different forms, and you know when it's coming truly from the heart from us. And I want my worship of you to be pure and undefiled. Lord, please work that in me. Lord, you've given me revelation. You've given us revelation. We have met you. We know you. We've seen you. We've seen you as, as revealed uh, in, in, the, in the pages of Scripture. And you, you've given us your Spirit to indwell us so that we know something of who you are, your character, your nature, what you're like, what you're not like. Lord, and we want to respond with a, with a heartfelt expression of praise. It's genuine. We don't want to be pharisaical in that. What good is that? 
That just gives us the charge of hypocrisy and you see right through it all. Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy. And this is not about us. This is about you. I think of the quote from John Piper. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. So we are called to live lives of following hard after you, repenting of sin, killing sin in our lives, and it just keeps on coming. Lord, but we know we've been forgiven. We've been washed. We've been made clean. And if that's not a reason to praise, I don't know what is, Lord. Thank you. We just thank you, Lord. And this offering that we're to collect here in a moment, this is also an expression of worship. We give to you what is already yours. You own it all. The cattle on a thousand hills. You just let us have a little something for the time being. So we give back for the work of the ministry so that your name might might be known throughout the globe. The people would stop worshiping self or another, some false god or some other thing that is undeserving of worship when you are there, the fountain of living water. May we come to you thirsty and you will quench our thirst. Lord, thank you for this time. I pray all these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.